0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 1245 p.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 24th of June, 2021. This is episode 443 of Bitcoin and, well... We're a little closer to getting this thing solved with Apple, but I don't know how close i got I got email back from you know the the whole issue got escalated up the chain, and it looks like somebody's actually giving a shit so we'll we'll find out, i guess later, but I'm still working on the the iTunes issue I don't know man it's <clears throat> it's weird, but we got better fish to fry. Let's start with Jack mallers. Jack Mallers becomes untethered. With Bitcoin clarity, El Salvador allows strike to abandon USDT. This is Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Namsios is writing this one. When El Salvador passed a law making Bitcoin legal tender in the country, it did not just set itself on a path to add the payment option to existing infrastructure. It provided regulatory clarity that allowed an existing Bitcoin forward platform to better serve its citizenry. Thanks to the regulation, Strike, the Lightning Network focused startup helping El Salvador build its national Bitcoin based payment system, will no longer need to substitute US dollars with tethers, uh, USDT stablecoin. Sorry about that. I'm dragging my ass a little this morning or this afternoon. You have to, it was a late night. Let's just power through it, bro. Strike CEO Jack Maller shared on a recent episode of the What Bitcoin Did podcast that before his trip to El Salvador to work with the Bitcoin Beach community, he connected with some financial institutions in the country and discovered that it was illegal for a financial service to custody dollars on behalf of a user. In addition, there was no regulatory clarity on Bitcoin in El Salvador at that time, and as a result, he immediately saw an impairment to helping the majority of the country's population that does not have access to the traditional banking system by implementing Strike. Consequently, Strike, which leverages dollars in the Bitcoin Lightning Network to allow instant cheap payment transfers worldwide without intermediaries, had to resort to using USDT to achieve basic minimum viable product functionality in El Salvador. However, after the country's president's bill to make Bitcoin legal tender was approved, Strike was able to secure partnerships with some of the biggest banks in El Salvador, which will be interoperable on Lightning. The resulting system, Maller said, will replace what is the equivalent of automated clearinghouses in the United States with the Lightning network without the need for Tether. Quote, Tether is no longer a part of anything, Maller said on the podcast. Tether was part of the plan originally because it had to be and because I didn't have a choice. End quote. The ability to abandon USDT on the platform is one that should be highly preferable to many many in El Salvador, given Tether's issues as a project. Since its launch in 2014, Tether stated that its USDT tokens were fully backed one for one by U.S. dollars and bank accounts, but it pivoted in 2019 to say that its reserves included traditional currency, cash, equivalents, and other assets and receivables. Such a move spurred skepticism and criticism in the Bitcoin community. And the New York Attorney General has found Tether to have misrepresented the asset-backing USDT and obscured the loss of $850 million in user funds. Currently, only 4% of Tether's reserves are cash. On the podcast, Mallard celebrated that Strike no longer needs to use the controversial USDT for its financial services in El Salvador, quote, you know, you launch with Tether, learn, be a good listener and a good observer, end up meeting with the president and helping to find regulatory clarity in a country, and then you roll Tether out, Maller said, and you help the country build the most inclusive, resilient, reliable financial infrastructure that any country has ever seen in human history. Maller's also shared that Strike will be integrating with the country's top or two top Cash Point Distributors, a solution that allows unbanked people to walk into a physical location with dollars or an app balance and walk out with cash. With this integration, Strike will be available on over 1,000 cash points across El Salvador and other countries in Central America, allowing people to easily port physical dollars into or out of their Strike app balance. Yeah, that was a good episode. Um, I really... (laughs) I dig Jack. Jack's a cool guy, man. Um, but being able to—I I was not aware just how much Strike was leveraging uh, Tether at that particular at that particular time. So when this news broke, I was well. I'm I'm honestly I'm I'm happy to hear that that a stablecoin is no longer involved in this because honestly, I mean I don't. It's not that I listen to Tether fud and I just don't care. It's not, Tether was never something that I've ever touched. I've never needed it. So I don't really give a shit about stable coins, pretty much. Um, but still, for those of, for those people who are continuously going on with the Tether FUD, you will have to find something else to speak about. Now, founders of South African Bitcoin exchange disappear after a $3.6 billion hack. And the hack is in quotes, probably, that's probably for good reason, because I I think it's probably a rug pull. But we'll find out. Igor Bonifacek, I guess that's how you pronounce it, from Yahoo Finance has this one. Cryptocurrency investors in South Africa have lost nearly $3.6 billion in Bitcoin following the disappearance of two brothers associated with one of the country's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, according to Bloomberg. A law firm in Cape Town says it cannot locate Amir and Reyes Kaji, the founders of AfriCrypt. In April, the exchange told its investors it was the victim of a hack and asked them not to report the incident to the authorities on account that it would slow down the process of recovering the missing money. Some of those involved in the exchange hired Hankum attorneys, a law firm that said it could not find the two brothers to investigate the incident. It found, however, that someone had withdrawn AfriCrypt's pulled funds from the local accounts and client wallets where the coins were stored originally and put them through tumblers and mixers, making it difficult, though not impossible, to trace the money. Quote, AfriCrypt employees lost access to the back-end platforms seven days before the alleged hack, the law firm told Bloomberg. The outlet attempted to call both Kaji brothers multiple times only to get their voicemail each time. Complicating any recovery attempt is that South Africa's finance sector conduct authority cannot launch a formal investigation into the incidents because cryptocurrency isn't legally considered a financial product in the country. If no one can recover the money, it will go down as the largest cryptocurrency loss in history, easily overshadowing the approximately 200 million Canadian dollars that disappeared when the founder of Canada's quadriga CX exchange died while traveling in India mm. rug pull i think they stole the bitcoin and they ditched their phones probably put them in a hole somewhere and bailed to the bahamas or some country where nobody knows who the hell these people are so <clears throat> what's the lesson you know what the lesson you know what i'm about to say you know what the lesson is not your keys, not your coins. This is why we self custody y'all. And even that, you know, honestly, let's let's be clear. You can get in trouble all by yourself. You don't need a third party to do it for you, okay? So, you know, if you're gonna lose your money, uh, it, you might as well do it all all on your own and not have a third party involved. So do custody your coins. Do try to be as careful as you can. Do not trust third parties because at one point or another, something will eventually happen and you will have no recourse to get any of your Bitcoin back. All right. You've heard it. You saw it yesterday. All over Twitter. John McAfee is dead. Rip John McAfee. How'd he die? Well, but he, he, an apparent suicide. How else would he have died? Larger-than-life software mogul John McAfee dies in Spain by suicide, says lawyer. This is from Reuters, uh, Barcelona, June the 23rd. British-born U.S. technology entrepreneur John McAfee died on Wednesday by suicide in a Barcelona prison after the Spanish high court authorized his extradition to the United States on tax evasion charges, his lawyer told Reuters. McAfee's lawyer, Javier Villalaba, said that the antivirus software pioneer died by hanging as his nine months in prison brought him to despair. During a court hearing last month, McAfee, 75, said that given his age, he would spend the rest of his life in jail if convicted in the United States. I am hoping, this is a quote, I am hoping that the Spanish court We'll see the injustice of this. The United States wants to use me as an example," he said. McAfee had lived for years on the run from U.S. authorities. Some of that time aboard a mega yacht, he was indicted in Tennessee on tax evasion charges and was charged in a cryptocurrency fraud case in New York. The colorful tech fa- colorful tech founder was detained on October the third at the Barcelona airport as he was about to board a flight to Istanbul with a British passport. A Spanish police source said at the time. McAfee worked for NASA, Xerox, and Lockheed Martin before launching the world's first commercial antivirus in 1987. Intel bought the business in 2011 when, John, uh, when, when McAfee himself no longer had any involvement. The program still carries his name and has 500 million users worldwide. Spain's high court said on Wednesday that it had agreed to extradite McAfee to the United States the Regional Justice Department confirmed that a U.S. man, age 75, awaiting extradition was found dead in his cell on Wednesday. Prison authorities were investigating the cause of death. McAfee still had opportunities to appeal his conviction, but could not stand uh, more time in jail, his lawyer said. Quote, this is the result of a cruel system that had no reason to keep this man in jail for this long, Villalba said. U.S. prosecutors will likely ask the judge overseeing the tax evasion case to dismiss charges because of McAfee's death. All right, McAfee said in 2019 that he had not paid U.S. income taxes for eight years for ideological reasons. That year, he left the United States to avoid trial, largely living on a mega yacht with his wife, four large dogs, two security guards, and seven staff. He offered to help Cuba avoid a U.S. trade embargo using cryptocurrency and sought to run for U.S. president for the Libertarian Party. Uh, that's just, you know, the, the rest of it is just basically going through the history. All right. So what do we say about John McAfee? Yes, uh, rip John McAfee. Was he the greatest, brightest light? No, 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 he wasn't. John McAfee was kind of a scumbag. That's okay though. If you want to be a scumbag, that is—that's your, you know, prerogative. But everything that the United States is was doing to this guy, you know, was is ridiculous. I mean, tracking him down all over the world for eight years because he didn't pay four point two million dollars in taxes. That's that's what he's on. Apparently, that's what the uh, IRS says that he was on the hook for. So all this shit for four point two million dollars in a time of unprecedented money printing. Does it even make any sense? Fuck no, it doesn't make any sense. Let's move on to something even more nonsensical, but has, you know, kind of some good news here. NYC mayoral lead wants city to be center for Bitcoin. Ha ha ha. Not with the New York state bit license in place. I'm sorry, man, it's just not going to work out for you. I don't know what part about that you missed, but as a mayoral candidate for New York City, you should probably understand what happens around bitcoin with the bit license you can't do anything but he's going to give it a try and his name is eric adams a new york city democratic mayoral front runner jesus is there any such thing as a democrat or a, a republican front runner for you know mayor <laughs> it doesn't seem possible in these days anyway he said today that after voting closed for the primaries that he would turn the city into a Bitcoin hub within one year. Quote, I promise you, in one year, you're going to see a different city, Adams said in his election night party speech. Quote, we're going to become the center of life science, the center of cybersecurity, the center of self-driving cars, drones, the center of Bitcoin. We're going to be the center of all of the technology. End quote. <clears throat> According to the New York Times, Adams is currently leading New York City's mayoral race with around 32% of the vote. Damn, dude. But the primary election results will likely not be known until mid-July when they are expected to be announced. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, a longtime Bitcoin fan who has made similar promises, was running second in line before he decided to drop out of the race earlier in the week. The New York Times data shows that Adam's closest rival is Maya Wiley, who is more than 700, or sorry, 75,000 votes behind now, Adams didn't elaborate on how he plans to achieve his ambitious goal of turning New York City into a Bitcoin hub. But he did send a message to his primary competitor in this regard, Mayor, uh, or sorry, yeah, mayor Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. Quote, Miami, you had your run. We're bringing our businesses back, Adams said. But the mayoral candidate might be facing fierce competition as Miami has already started taking tangible measures to bring Bitcoin to city-level adoption. Suarez has set a personal goal to turn his tropical city into a Bitcoin-savvy economy before 2022. The Miami mayor who bought Bitcoin himself after U.S. President Joe Biden announced a $1.0 trillion stimulus bill has already seen the city commission explore paying city employees in Bitcoin, allowing residents to pay taxes and fees in Bitcoin, and using city funds to invest in Bitcoin. Furthermore, Suarez has recently uh, sought to attract Bitcoin miners to his city. On the other hand, New York's own legislation, and here we go, might pose difficulties for Adams to outpace Miami and turn his city into the city center for Bitcoin. The notorious BitLicense, a business license for Bitcoin activities issued by the New York State Department of Financial Services entails considerable costs for those wishing to operate in the state. Apart from a $5,000 application fee a report calculates that gathering and constructing all of the information for the application process can amount to over $100,000. In addition, BitLicense's extensive requirements pose a privacy concern for many in the Bitcoin industry, who see it as intrusive and unjustly targeting Bitcoin startups. For instance, prominent Lightning startup uh, network Lightning Network startup Strike, which is helping El Salvador, does not work in New York. So yeah thank you for for bringing that one up because that's you know the, the bit license unless that thing goes away new york city doesn't have a hope in hell for any of the shit that adams wants to bring to the city they killed new york city they've killed the entire state unless they unfurl some of the bullshit flags that they're waving in the wind that state ain't ever coming back to anywhere approaching former glory which is a shame I've, you know, I've visited New York. I've never lived there, but I visited it, and, you know, it's an organism. It's not a city. It's an actual, honest-to-God organism. It's a living, breathing creature, and they killed it. They just absolutely cut its legs off. I don't think the city's ever going to come back, but we'll we'll have to wait and see on that one. All right, now, Obi Nwosu is writing uh, his weekly or bi-weekly column, or not bi-weekly, bi-monthly column, um, for BTC Times, and it's called, this one is entitled The Fifth Utility. He dropped this one sometime yesterday. Do you believe in magic? You should. Because there was a time when clean drinking water from a tap, gas from a stove, or the electric light bulb were all magic. They weren't just conveniences we missed only in their absence. Potable water, or yeah, well, portable water meant drastically reduced mortality through the eradication of cholera and typhoid. The electric light transformed business productivity by enabling us to work after the sun had set. The internet is only the latest technology turned utility to transform our existence beyond recognition. These all-encompassing technologies did not start out as such. Remember how limited the early internet was, or the first camera phones, or trying to play video on dial-up? It was all frustrating, sometimes disappointing, but we didn't turn away from it. We understood that however limited the technology, the internet represented a revolution in our relationship with information, each other, and the world. We knew the technology would only get better, and it did, faster than we ever imagined possible. And this is the next frontier for Bitcoin, to become the platform for every aspect of our financial lives. And that's only possible thanks to the technical wizards who are constantly conjuring not just to make Bitcoin better than it was before, but superior to any other money on the market. Take the Lightning Network. For years, many currencies, both fiat and crypto, have tried to enable cheap international payments. When we pointed out that Bitcoin could provide such a solution, the experts said that it couldn't be done. Bitcoin was too slow, expensive, and cumbersome. Well, guess what? We solved it. The Lightning Network now enables anyone to send Satoshis anywhere in the world with tiny transaction fees, nearly instantly and built on and backed by the most secure and powerful network ever created. Maybe you could ignore the Lightning Network when it was still in the lab, but its benefits are no longer theoretical. If it's good enough for El Salvador citizens and Diaspora, it's good enough for anyone. And consider claims that Bitcoin's a one-trick pony. If you wanted functionality like smart contracts, the smart money was on the flood of smart contract platforms that launched seemingly every week. Except now, tech like Rootstock and RGB enable Bitcoin-based smart contracts that are every bit as sophisticated and cost-effective as alternatives. With the added advantage, of course, of being built on and backed by the most secure and powerful network ever invented, making them the most secure smart contract platforms on the planet. Or look at one of the other perennial criticisms of uh, <coughs> uh, criticisms, criticisms about Bitcoin, that it's unsuitable for trading and corporate transfers because it doesn't support transactions with sufficient privacy. A must for many commercial use cases. A fair point, but then the liquid network brought scale and confidentiality to Bitcoin by being built on and backed by, well, I think I've made my point. Like the internet before it, Bitcoin is a foundation, a building block. What the web did for information, Bitcoin is doing for value. <coughs> Excuse me. It is the base for a range of new services many still undreamt of that will transform everything from remitting money home to the way individuals, multinationals, and even governments store or transact. First, there was clean water, and then gas, electricity, and most recently the internet. Now, Bitcoin is destined to become the fifth utility. Its magic has always been the power to seamlessly transfer value through time and space. But technologies like lightning, liquid, rootstock, and RGB will elevate Bitcoin from digital gold to priceless necessity. These developments are yet further proof that Bitcoin is fulfilling its promises and pursuing its path to hegemony far faster than ever. I agree. Thank you, Obi Nwosu. I like reading his stuff. He's a, he's a pretty good author. Now, on to Brazil, who's beating the living snot out of the SEC when it comes to Bitcoin ETFs. Helen Parts tells us about this one from Cointelegraph. Asset Manager QR launches a Bitcoin ETF on Brazilian Stock Exchange. The Brazil Stock Exchange, or B3, has launched the trading of another, this is important, another Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, making uh, <clears throat> marking the growing acceptance of the crypto industry in the country. Brazilian Asset Manager QR Asset Management started trading its Bitcoin ETF with the ticker QBTC11 on the Sao Paulo based B3 exchange on Wednesday. The listing comes several months after the Brazilian Securities and Exchange Commission approved QR's Bitcoin ETF in March alongside another crypto-based ETF by Latin American crypto investment firm Hashdex. In contrast to Hashdex's crypto ETF product, which offers a diversified portfolio to several shitcoins, QR's ETF product provides exposure exclusively to Bitcoin. QR Capital founder and CEO Fernando Carvalho said that the acceptance of a crypto ETF is a symbol of security as it enables investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin directly on the B3 without relying on unregulated platforms. Quote, the QBTC11 is a milestone, both in the conventional financial market and in the digital asset industry, as it is a point of convergence between the two. Investors now have a regulated, low cost and robust option to expose themselves directly to the most important crypto asset on the market, Bitcoin, end quote. Good job with the quote there, pal. QR's Bitcoin ETF is not the only cryptocurrency ETF listed on the B3. In April, Brazilian Stock Exchange rolled out trading for the country's first crypto-based ETF index, Hashdex, or the Hash11. 11. Hash11 11 replicates the NASDAQ crypto index that it consists of multiple cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, Shitcoin1, Shitcoin2, Shitcoin3, and Shitcoin4. Oh, and Chainlink and is a rebalanced quarterly. By the way, Chainlink, biggest shitcoin in that entire list. Bitcoin's ETF, or Bitcoin ETFs are gaining traction in multiple jurisdictions, not the United States though. Canadian asset manager 3iq rolled out its Bitcoin fund ETF on NASDAQ Dubai on Wednesday. Canada is another major country that has been moving forward with BTC ETFs with 3iq and CoinShares Bitcoin ETF going live on the Toronto Stock Exchange in April of last year. Despite growing global acceptance, the United States regulators are yet to approve a single solitary Bitcoin ETF, having delayed multiple regulatory decisions on such products in the past weeks. Yes. So <clears throat> Brazil now has two Bitcoin ETFs. <clears throat> Canada has three, uh, four, I think, at this point. And the United States has a great big giant goose egg. We got nothing. We're getting left behind as a country. Not that it really matters to me, I I can buy, I can just buy Bitcoin. I can just have it. I don't need an ETF, but pension products do need an ETF. It's the only way that they're going to be able to gain any kind of exposure, at least in the near term. But, you know, guys, it is what it is. So let's go ahead and move on. And well, we'll just it's a little early, but let's go ahead and run the numbers. CNBC markets because it's well the markets are open I'm being really late today like I said ladies and gentlemen it was kind of a it's kind of a long night last night I'm 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 dragging I'm dragging hard man but the S&P 500 is up 0.6% Nasdaq is up 0.6% the Dow Jones is up over a full point the FTSE is up a half a point the Nikkei is flat Hang Seng is up a quarter of a point Volatility has dropped 3.86 percent, and let's see what do we got going on with uh, bonds? Are the bond yields are mixed? Ten and thirty-year yields have been pushed down. The five, two, and three-month, or five-year, two-year, and three-month bonds, their yields have been pushed up. West Texas Intermediate is up 0.17 percent. is coming in at seventy-three dollars and twenty-one cents a barrel. Natural gas. Dude, knocking it out of the park with 2.5% to the upside, $3.41 per cubic or thousand cubic feet. So that that price, at these prices, it'll be interesting to see if anybody starts building pipelines. And if it does, that kind of interrupts the possibility, you know, or it kind of steps a little bit on the dance partner of Bitcoin mining using natural gas Hose, but I don't. I don't think it's a danger. I just think that it'll be interesting to see if the if these prices stay uh, stay this high for natural gas for a long time. Uh, if uh, piping infrastructure starts to be uh, built out, and if it does, there'll be some competition. But like I said, it's not going to hurt people like Great American Mining or Steve Barber or any of those guys. Why, <clears throat> dude? There's so much natural gas. We, we don't like if we were to gather up every ASIC on the face of the planet and forced it all to mine Bitcoin from natural gas, there would still not be enough anywhere close to enough ASICs. So that's why I'm not all that concerned about this, this issue of high natural gas prices. Now real money, we got Bitcoin at $34,769. 230,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's just under 10,000 transactions on average every hour with 613,000 BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. And that's going to give us 25,500 Bitcoin being sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of 2.6 BTC and the median transaction value of 0. 0.028 BTC. Now, block times are still very high. You know why. Why? China, 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 13 minutes and 43 seconds at present time. With it, ooh, look at that! Hash rate is dipped below 100 exahashes per second. Oh, mining death spiral. Here, here comes the fud. You, 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 just get ready for it. But that's after a 2.69 percent increase in hash rate, and we're still under 100 exahashes per second we were at 168 exahashes per second as the hash rate all time high we are now using so i guess that means that we're not boiling the oceans anymore and guess what bitcoin is still just as secure today as it was when it was at 168 exahashes per second that's what these people do not understand they don't understand the security model They don't understand that the difficulty adjustments going up or down, depending on what happened in a two, relatively a two week period, 2016 blocks, because they don't understand it. They, you know, they don't understand it, but somehow or another, the little switch in their brain that says, Hey, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this. And they continue to just spout nonsense about it. And when they look back on it and they finally ever get it through their head, how this shit actually works, they're going to be embarrassed. But Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator, is at 23.8 United States pennies. It should be dead, but it's not. Anyway, there's 23,000 transactions waiting on 27 blocks to clear. We have captured 5.67% of gold's market cap at $654.6 billion in total Bitcoin market capitalization. We will be able to buy if you want to uh, 19.7 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin of which there is 18,741,822.75 Bitcoin in circulation. And 1,602 of those are now in the Lightning Network, giving the Lightning Network a capacity value of $56 million. 11,906 nodes that we know about are running the Lightning Network with 50,369 open and public payment channels involved. Now, Tor, we have a 64.4% of the Lightning Network is now being run over Tor. That means that there's 1,032.5 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and it's being run over 6,496 Tor nodes that we know about. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with stu- some, some stupid here. Gemini Trust buys $4 million in carbon credits to offset its Bitcoin holdings. Oh my God. Are you shitting me? Namcios tells us about it from Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin exchange Gemini Trust, run by the Winklevi, has purchased around $4 million in carbon credits to help offset the alleged carbon emissions footprint of its Bitcoin held in custody reported Bloomberg. Okay, I'm gonna, I gotta stop right here. I have to. Think about it this way. They're trying to carbon offset the Bitcoin that they hold. Uh, what kind of calculation are they are they running there? When did they, I mean, think about the parameters here. You'd have to look, look back. What was the hash rate at the time of purchase, right? Of all the coins and then come up with some kind of aggregate average of energy used to create those coins that were that are now held by the Winklevoss. And then you'd actually have to go through and look at the energy mix of what miners were mining though all the coins that the Winklevoss hold and look at their well look at their energy mix and pull out of your calculation all the shit that is renewable. Guys I I could continue, but if you don't already understand what a bullshit clown show this is, then I can't help you. And and then beyond it all, do you, I mean, do you have to continuously pay carbon credits for the, for the Bitcoin in perpetuity? Do you see how silly this shit is? And you see how, if you see how silly this shit is, then you should understand how silly the carbon credit market actually is. You'd have to do that for every asset under the sun that has ever been produced. You'd have to do the same thing for gold. You'd have to do the same thing for silver. You'd You'd have to. It would have to be. You'd have to do a forensic analysis on all the assets on the planet going back to the history. you know, to the beginning of the history of mankind to figure out what, how much you owe in carbon credits. This is bullshit and it needs to stop. So I'm going to go down to the store today and I'm going to buy a 10 pound block of dry ice and I'm going to throw it in my fucking kid's pool to offset the clown show bullshit that the Winklevi just, I mean, if they hadn't have done this, They would have saved the atmosphere having to soak up 10 pounds of carbon dioxide, which I'm going to do today. Anyway, let's continue with this stupid crap. We want to build a better world with Bitcoin, says Tyler Winklevoss. It's also important to be sustainable as we navigate into that vision. Oh, God, it hurts. Jim and I purchased the carbon credits indirectly through a donation to Climate Vault. Oh, they don't even hold the credits. They just donated to some silly organization. Jesus this Delaware-based nonprofit, non-stock corporation, seeks to facilitate organizations to achieve net-zero carbon emissions by leveraging existing offset markets. The nonprofit, which directly purchased the permit, said the Winklevoss donation would prevent over 341,000 metric tons of carbon from entering the atmosphere. Gemini claimed that these offsets cover all of the Bitcoin held by the trust which amounts to an average daily balance of 250,843 BTC so far this year, around $8.3 billion at the time of writing. According to Bloomberg, a Gemini currently, or sorry, Gemini currently serves as the custodian for nine exchange traded funds and two closed ended publicly traded funds in North America, But with this recent purchase, part of the Gemini Green initiative, the company seeks to appeal the Bitcoin investment case to more institutional investors. Corporations worldwide, especially investment funds, have lately received intense environmental, social, and governance pressure from the public. That's the ESG narrative shit. Quote, we are just playing our part to address the ESG narrative. And component of Bitcoin that a lot of people have heard about, and they can come to Gemini and use Gemini Green custody, and they can fulfill their ESG mandates. God, I gotta stop again. Oh, we are. I gotta read it again. We are just playing our part to address the ESG conversation. Said another way, we're just paying lip service. Continuing, Uh, it's a Bitcoin had been. A lot of people have heard about the ESG narrative and they can come to Gemini and and we'll help them pay lip service. That's what uh, that entire paragraph says just that. We're paying lip service. We know it's a bullshit narrative. We know that we got to pay lip service. We are paying lip service and we've started an initiative to allow other people to pay lip service to this bullshit ESG narrative too. These are not the people you want to do business with guys. ESG disclosure by investment funds and related entities have become increasingly demanded. As a result, investors now seek to add more ESG-compliant businesses into their portfolio and better appeal to subsequent retail investors who are increasingly concerned about the environment. But the ESG narrative hasn't escaped criticism. The broad array of fields encompassed by by its acronym gets dizzyingly translated into investment ideas, showing that it lacks clarity. Yeah, it also lacks any kind of ethic, by the way. Nonetheless, the Winklevi purchase of carbon credits might not only spur additional interest by institutional investors, which is one of the important drivers of of adoption, but could also bring a tangible contribution to the planet as tons of carbon are stopped from entering the atmosphere. Bullshit. 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 Carbon dioxide enters the atmosphere as part of the carbon cycle on the planet, very much like the water cycle, the nitrogen cycle, and there's a whole lot of of cycles in the environment, guys. If you want to stop the increase of CO2 in the atmosphere, it's not about stopping the release of CO2. It's about providing a correct CO2 sink. You need that thing to sink back down. And what have we done with the entire agricultural lands of most of the world, not just the United States, Most of the agricultural lands in the world have been stripped down into monocultures, which do not provide an adequate CO2 sink for the carbon to re-enter the carbon cycle. And it just either goes into the ocean, which it drops the pH of the ocean, or it just stays around in the atmosphere. And it's not exactly the best thing you want in the atmosphere. But bitching and moaning about Bitcoin mining causing this is about as ludicrous as I can see. It's also ludicrous to say that stopping, you know, that we're all going to drive electric cars. Guess how you're going to power those electric cars? Through fossil fuels. One way or another, it's always going to come back to fossil fuels. If you want to attack something, then attack big agriculture. That's going to be about the only thing that is going to have a hope in hell of doing anything. And guess what? You're not gonna win. Uh, big Ag is. You're, you're ta- you You're You might as well go after Big Oil. I don't know, man. It's just the whole thing is stupid. But the Winklevi really showed showed their ignorance on this one today. God, let's let's move it on over to. Oh, yay! More Mount Gox stuff, guys. A judge rejects the class certification in the lawsuit over the Mount Gox hack. Uh, Peter Chihuaga's got this one for Bitcoin Magazine. In the latest legal development around the 2014 hack of Mt. Gox, perhaps the most notorious Bitcoin exchange event in history, a federal judge in the United States has rejected a bid for the class certification for victims. Quote, an Illinois federal judge rejected a bid for class certification from customers to a defunct Japanese Bitcoin exchange, Mt. Gox, saying it is not reasonable to conclude that 30,000 putative class members shared the lead plaintiff's interpretations of Mt. Gox's terms of use or even read them, Law 360 reports. In order to move forward with claims against Mt. Gox through a class action lawsuit, a judge first has to certify the class, determining that all individual members are similar enough to litigate against the defendant as part of a single case. The lead plaintiff In a $400 million case, Gregory Green has argued that Mt. Gox CEO Mark Carpellis misconstrued the exchange's terms of use through the drafting and dissemination of them. But in the recent ruling, Judge Gary Finnerman determined that many of the victims of the hack could not have equally read or learned from these terms and therefore should not be able to sue as a single class. Feynman insisted or instead handed a win to Carpellis who has argued that a compensation plan in Japan would better serve the proposed class members than litigation in the United States, per Law 360. The Mt. Gox hack remains the largest compromised Bitcoin exchange event in history by a wide margin, with some 850,000 Bitcoins stolen. Victims have been attempting to recover funds through litigation for years, including via the state of California in 2019 and Tokyo District Court in 2020. So... The shit show drags on with Mt. Gox. I don't think there's ever going to be an end to the Mt. Gox issues, but let's, let's turn the page to turn it right coin. Telegraph major players will speak at a new Bitcoin event aimed at institutional investments. Oh, you're going to love this one, guys. If you don't roll your eyes on this, then you need to stop listening to this podcast. The Crypto Council for Innovation is hosting a virtual event on July the 21st, aimed to destigmatize mainstream narratives about Bitcoin. According to a Thursday announcement, Square, ARK Invest, and Paradigm are backing, here it comes, the B word. The B word. Oh, God. Uh, An event on how institutions can embrace Bitcoin. The project scheduled for launch next month will offer featured speakers, including Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Blockstream founder Adam Back, ARK Invest Kathy Wood, who by the way bought the dip, former acting and deputy director of the CIA, oh God, Michael Morrill, And John Newberry, director of Brink, a nonprofit focused on supporting Bitcoin development. Quote, the B word is a Bitcoin focused initiative that aims to demystify and destigmatize mainstream narratives about Bitcoin, explain how institutions can and should embrace it and raise awareness around areas of the network that need support, said the project formed in April. The Crypto Council for Innovation, or CCI, is an alliance of crypto-friendly firms, including Coinbase, Square, Fidelity Digital Assets, and Paradigm. The group was created to give companies a better means to lobby lawmakers on crypto and blockchain regulation. Quote, Bitcoin is a positive force in the world because it increases financial access and opportunity, but the complexity that makes its network so powerful also makes it difficult to understand at first. We hope this initiative... Helps the investment community and policymakers better understand how transformative a moment we're, or tra- how transformative a moment we're in right now. Okay, that's a bad sentence, but whatever. End quote. And that was Paradigm co-founder Matt Matt Huang or Huang. I can't pronounce it. At the time of publication, the event lists five sessions to be available on July the 21st, with an additional live panel with Dorsey, Wood, and others as Bitcoin as a tool for economic empowerment. Uh, Coin Metrics co-founder Nick Carter, <clears throat> evil man, and MIT Digital Currency Initiative director Niha Narula will also be speaking in the online sessions. I'm just kidding. Nick Carter isn't evil. He's just really violent. If you if you don't understand the meme, I can't do anything for you. Many ex- experts have posited that institutional investors would help drive mainstream interest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In addition to potentially helping its price, data from banking giant JP Morgan in May, however, suggests that retail investors may be purchasing more BTC using platforms like PayPal and Square than institutions. Now, as long as you custody that shit yourself, you should be fine. Now, I mentioned something about uh, Kathy Wood buying the dip. Here it is. ARK Invest bought $29 million in shares of grayscale Bitcoin trust during the during the crash. Andrew Asmikov has got it for Decrypt. <clears throat> Hopefully they don't talk about it, DeFi. ARK Invest, the investment firm headed by Kathy Wood, went big during Bitcoin's drop below $30,000 on Tuesday, snapping up $29 million in grayscale Bitcoin trust shares According to data shared by the investment firm, the addition of 1,000 or no 1 million shares of GBTc were made through Ark Next Generation Internet ETF, one of the company's six actively managed funds. Tuesday's purchase brought Ark W's total holding, holdings of GBTc to almost 8.6 million shares worth 238.9 million dollars. With a weight of 3.99%, GBTC is the 7th largest holding in the fund, which is topped by Tesla, Shopify, and Twitter. GBTC, which currently commands $21.9 million in assets under management, is the oldest and largest crypto fund launched by New York-based firm Grayscale Investment. It offers investors SEC-regulated exposure to Bitcoin, tracking the price of the benchmark cryptocurrency. 1GBTC shares or share currently trades at $28.96 since Tuesday. Bitcoin has somewhat recovered, uh, changing hands at $34,000 at the time of writing. On Tuesday, in a purchase worth nearly $50 million, ARK Invest also added 214,718 shares of cryptocurrency Coinbase to its ARK Innovation Fund. I guess they're actually talking about... Coinbase shares. That was a poorly written uh, sentence. The fund now holds over 3.6 million shares in the cryptocurrency exchange, which is worth more than $820 million. ARK Invest was also among the first to buy Coinbase stock after Coinbase debuted on the NASDAQ in April this year. Wood, who last month joined the board of crypto technology platform Amun Holdings, is known as a vocal supporter of Bitcoin and sees it going to $500,000 in, lo- in the long term. Earlier this year, she said that Bitcoin is a new asset class that could one day even serve as a reserve currency. So she's not as bullish on it as I am, but at least she's buying something, I don't know. Upbit, Bitthumb, and others delist numerous coins ahead of South Korean regulatory review. Now, we, I've, I've reported on this, you know, or told y'all about this before, Right, so <clears throat> this is ongoing. So if you missed it before, you can get it here now. This is out of CoinDesk, and it's Felix i is writing this one. Two of South Korea's four largest exchanges, Upbit and BitThumb, have been delisting altcoins as they prepare for an upcoming regulatory overhaul. Upbit, BitThumb, CoinOne, and Corbit are collectively for- referred to as Korea's big four. On June the 11th, UpBit announced it would be removing the fiat on-ramps for five tokens. The exchange also posted a watch list of 25 tokens. On June the 18th, it delisted 24 of them. On June the 17th, BitThumb announced that it will terminate trading for four tokens on July the 5th. Tokens that have been delisted so far generally fall into one of the following categories. Tokens that are listed on less than five exchanges. Dark Coins tokens directly issued by exchanges and tokens whose protocols are no longer being developed. On June the 4th, the Financial Intelligence Unit of the Financial Services Commission held a meeting with leaders of domestic crypto exchanges. During this meeting, they conveyed a set of recommended guidelines for exchanges to maximize their chances of having their registration approved. These guidelines include uh, instructions to submit operation plans that detail protocols for evaluating and listing tokens, as well as identifying and dealing with scams, fraud, and legal trades. All crypto exchanges are required to register with the FIU by September the 24th, but the FIU has the authority to reject applications by exchanges that fail to meet certain conditions or are perceived as too risky. Exchanges seem to have interpreted the FIU's guidelines as a set of de facto orders, which could explain the mass delisting throughout the past month. Given the current trend, delistings are likely to continue up until September the 24th. In addition to the FIU, exchanges also have to worry about their partnerships with domestic commercial banks. Exchanges must secure a bank partnership in order to qualify for the FIU registration, and banks have the authority to choose which exchanges they'll work with. The big four currently have bank partnerships, but these are currently under review as banks deliberate whether or not they'll extend their contracts with crypto exchanges beyond September the 24th. As of June the 21st, Upbit had 178 tokens available for trading, BitThumb had 178, and Coin uh, CoinOne had 180. This is up to six times the number of tokens listed by smaller competitors. Corbit, for instance, has fewer than 40. By comparison, Coinbase currently supports fewer than 100 tokens. Until now, the exchanges have had a big incentive to list as many tokens as possible. Transaction fees. Yeah, no shit. The more coins traded, the higher the trading volume, the higher the trading volume. Oh, sorry, they actually wrote that twice. The more transaction fees are earned. Because there's no legal procedure for listing coins, exchanges have been able to list as many as they want. The FSC estimates the big four registered an average daily trading volume of 22 trillion won, which is $19.4 billion during April of 2021. Koreans also tend to trade altcoins a lot more than some of their overseas counterparts. Last month, CoinMarketCap estimated that Bitcoin accounts for around 40% of transactions globally, but only 7% of transactions among Korean traders. A former employee at a crypto exchange, who asked to remain anonymous, told CoinDesk Korea or CoinDesk Korea that over 90% of Korea's crypto trade volume is in altcoins, which gives domestic exchanges an incentive to list as many as possible. Bitthumb has listed 52 coins within 2021. Coin 1 listed 39. That means that for BitThumb to list 50 tokens in around 200 days, it would have had to list one every four days. That doesn't provide much time to review each project, now does it? Na Woo Rae, I guess, a lawmaker with South Korea's Democratic Party has criticized exchanges for this kind of indiscriminate token listing Quote, they listed a massive amount of questionable tokens only to suddenly delist them without providing any clear explanation, leaving investors in the dust, No said. Quote, if authorities discover any evidence that exchanges listed shady tokens despite knowing that they would likely be delisted later on to gain a short-term profit, I think that's grounds for rejecting their FIU registration, he added delisting announcements have caused prices for many altcoins to plummet by 50 percent or more causing considerable losses among retail investors yeah you think so far upbit has delisted 36 tokens in 2021. bitthumb has delisted 10. coin1 and corbit have respected respectively uh delisted three each Woo! good lord that was a long one long, longer one than i thought it was going to be okay <clears throat> so the shitcoin fire dumpster fire burns along at a brisk pace. This is why I Bitcoin. I don't have to. You notice how they didn't even name them. They weren't even going to take the time in that article. It, there's there was no reason to to name any of those damn coins because they are they are all shit. And when it comes time for when a little bit of scrutiny starts coming down on these people for for all these listing of all these shit coins that. Me and other maximalists have been screaming are just straight up scams for years and being pointed at and laughed at and made fun of and other people are other people have gotten death threats. I don't know exactly how that works, but um, I haven't. But but I've been telling I've been telling you guys for as long as I've been doing this show to not get into shit coins, and this is exactly why. This well, this is there's many reasons, and this is one of them. And this is but this is one of the biggest ones. they didn't even take time to list the names of the tokens that were being delisted. That's because they are, they are not, it's not worth writing their names down. And if it's not even worth writing their names down, is it worth you reading their plagiarized white paper to figure out how much of your hard earned cash you want to lose? It's not. Just buy Bitcoin. Just hold Bitcoin. DCA. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dan Held of all people. Yeah, that Dan Held. Where does an Eskimo keep their Bitcoin in a cold wallet? It was just too terrible not to do for the uh, Terrible Joke Corner. Anyway, thank you, Dan. I I appreciate that one. That was pretty bad. All right. All right. Work continues on getting me back in action on uh, iTunes podcast. Uh, I got to get back into it today. And well, you know, really, there's nothing else going on. I ain't going to, you know, I ain't going to waste your time. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.